Our second lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know how you imagine it will be, and hopefully for you not for a long time, uh, how, it, how it will be when you actually encounter Jesus. I mean, what would that be like for you? How do you imagine that going? Uh, I, you know, some people might imagine it would just be a friendly hello and a warm hug. I kind of imagine Jesus sort of looking at me and saying, what were you thinking? Right. Like, kind of like I remember this movie, you, you know, from 19, this movie is 1991. Remember Defending Your Life? How many of you saw that with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep? Uh, by the way, I am getting to the age where like all my music is on oldies stations. So it's kind of depressing. And all the movies I like are now 20 years old. They're on like Turner Classic or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but if you remember that movie, Defending Your Life, it's about this idea. They go to the afterlife, uh, they die, and then they're confronted with things like a videotape, a, like an ESPN highlight reel of every mistake you made. In, in your life. And so, um, you know, it's, it's actually quite funny when you see the compilation of them. And so it's, so it's an, interesting, an interesting movie in that regard. It is a comedy. It's a lot of fun. But, um, you know, I tend to have that kind of imagination around it. But here we have a story where people are encountering Jesus because he's among them. And it's the story that follows last week's story where Jesus had fed the 5,000. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then he withdraws and the people continue to seek a, an encounter with Jesus. Now, they go to him, and as they're following him, Jesus kind of challenges them. He basically says, you know, look, you're following me not because of, of the power that I showed, not because of, of the connection with God that was demonstrated. You came because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're following me because I fed you and you want more food. You know, they're essentially treating Jesus, he, I guess he was the first food truck. You know, and so they're just, he feeds them, they follow, it moves, they follow, they just want more bread. He dissects their motive for wanting to follow Jesus. 
And so in this encounter, he's presenting them basically with a question that I think we need to confront, which is, what would you say if you encountered Jesus and he asked you, why are you my follower? You know, why? What, what's the reason? Why are you actually a follower of mine? See, for a lot of folks, you know, people come to faith for all kinds of different reasons. In America, which is, you know, predominantly nominally Christian nation, you have tons of people who simply grew up in it. And so why am I a follower? Because my parents were followers, and I was baptized into it, and I was taken to church school, and they sent me to vacation Bible camp, and it was a lot of fun, and I continued to come, and I just continue to come because it's sort of an automatic part of my life. You have other people who turn to faith, you know, it might be at a very difficult time in their lives, and so something is happening in their lives that is negative, and so they, they show up because they're thinking that somehow faith is going to solve this problem of theirs. You, you have folks who think that somehow faith is some kind of uh, hardship insurance, that, that somehow if you are a person of faith, uh, you will be insulated from the negative things that life can throw at you. Which, can, you know, as I've mentioned all the time, conveniently ignores the fact that as far as we know, all of Jesus' disciples except one died an unnatural early death. So, so much for that shielding from, from hardship theory. It's just not borne out by the, by the history of the church. But you have people who believe that, that somehow, uh, that if they are, you know, in uh, people of faith, that God will protect them selectively over others. And there's actually no such promise in Scripture. And Jesus is trying to hone in on what he's saying the reason should be for following, which is simply that he is, in fact, the Son of God. That, that it is who he is, is, is the reason for following, and not what you would get from it. It's not about this idea that, you, you know, you, you would get fed, or you would get healed. It's not about the things you get. It's about who Jesus is. And so he says, look, you're impressed by these things I'm able to do, but the, the work of God is, is belief. The work of God is not the miracles per se, it's what the miracles are pointing toward. It's what the miracles are leading to, which is the idea that as a result of seeing these signs, you understand who Jesus is and you believe. And that is the actual work of God, the belief that you have in him. The miracle is the faith. And faith itself is the work of God, not the things that are shown in order to help convince you of that faith. But the people have trouble letting go of that. People, it's just human nature. This is the way people are. They have a lot of trouble letting go of that transactional kind of relationship with Christ. And so they persist in saying, okay, Jesus, we get it. We understand, you know, cognitively, we understand what you're saying, but... If you are, in fact, the Son of God, if you are the one who was sent from God, what sign are you going to show us? It's like, what do you mean? I, we just 
did this. We just ran through this. I mean, these people are, you know, I, I you know, people talk about Jesus. I imagine him having pulled his hair out by the time, you know, he's, he's been in ministry for a while. And, and so they want another sign. All right, Jesus, here's what you say. So give us another sign. He's like, another sign? We just fed you, you know, and he's in dialogue with them and basically says, well, what kind of sign do you want? And what do they come up with? They go right back to, well, our ancestors ate man in the wilderness. They're back to the bread. So, so this goes, you know, Jesus is saying, you're following me because of the bread. You should be following me because I'm the son of God. And they go, well, what sign will you show us that you're the son of God? And he says, well, what, what sign do you want? And they're like, bread. You know, Seinfeld couldn't come up with a, with a routine like this. He keeps trying to explain, I'm the bread of life. I'm the person that you need to be believing in. I'm what you actually need, not these other things that you think you need. You know? and, and this is one of the continuing battles of faith. One of the continuing battles of faith is people who want God to give them what they think they need when so much of Christian faith is teaching us that what we need is something other than what we think we want. And so we want all these things in life and we ask God for them and God is often telling us, well, no, actually what's truly important, what you need to want, isn't actually what you're asking and when you have this kind of collision of purposes, collision of, of um, ideas about what a relationship should be based on, it's tough on the relationship, okay? I, I mean, relationships have a good foundation. Good relationships have a good foundation uh, of any kind, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic relationship, a good relationship has a foundation in shared ideals. It has a foundation in shared goals, shared purposes, okay? And when these things are not a fit, the relationship probably is doomed, all right? It's, it's just the way it is. Now, I'm single, so I can't actually tell you about things that make for a long-lasting relationship. I can tell you about things that make for relationships that fail, <laughs> okay, so got yeah, so I can tell you a few of those, and, and a few of those have to do when you hit that point, and I'm sure many of you had this happen in your life, where a relationship was fine in the moment, but what you realized was that there was a, a, a split between your vision of where the relationship was headed. Right? There's always that point in a relationship where you kind of have to have that that talk that defining talk where you say, okay, what is this? Where is this going? What is this about? Right? I've told this story before years ago in, in a sermon. I have a good friend, true story. So he was dating a woman for seven years. And, and finally, after seven years, her parents sit him down and say, son, <laughs> what, what are your intentions? Are you, are you going to ask our daughter to marry you or not? And his answer 
I haven't thought about it. <laughs> haven't thought about it. Seven years, haven't thought about it. But I actually wonder, I'll bet you there are people who've been in a relationship with church, a relationship with Christ, maybe even longer than that, and haven't actually thought about where the relationship was headed. That they haven't actually answered some of those fundamental questions that happen in a human relationship. You know, we, we need to be straight on this. Is this casual or is this committed? I need to know. Is this casual or committed? Are we exclusive here or not? The same kinds of questions have to be a part of our relationship with Christ. What exactly is it about and where is it headed? And how serious are you about it? We're celebrating communion today. So we, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ. We commemorate Christ dying on the cross and rising. So we kind of have a real good clue of how committed Jesus was to the relationship with us. We understand how, how seriously Jesus took the relationship with us. And the question becomes, how seriously do we take our relationship with him? When you believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you, if you give your assent to that proposition, it's a very natural question to ask, okay, then what does that require of you? Are you behaving in a way that honors that relationship? Are you taking it as seriously as the relationship requires? I mean, we all understand in our relationships that, you know, we have, I'm sure we all think of it, we have different levels of friends, right? You know, come on, we have, we have people we call friends, but they're not really friends. And we have people who are good friends, and then we have people who are best friends, right? We have that kind of, of hierarchy in our relationships. And we understand what those relationships require. If you're in a serious romantic relationship, if you are married, you understand what those relationships require. You understand your best friend calls you up and asks for something, and it may not be something that you want to do. It may not be something that is convenient for you to do, but you understand what your obligation is in the context of the friendship. And you also understand that if you don't live up to that, you degrade the quality of the relationship that exists. If we're going to have a relationship with Christ, we have to really think about what it is. We have to think about how seriously we take it. We have to think about what that relationship then asks of us in order to maintain the relationship at the level that it ought to be at. What does it require of us in relation to Christ? What does, it, what does Christ require of us in relation to how we live with our fellow human beings in this society and on this planet? We can choose, as many people do, to simply take it casually. We can choose, as many people do, to not have a real deep commitment to it.
and the relationship will suffer for it. The closeness won't be there. Because that only happens when we take it seriously. So the question is, why are you following? What is the nature of your relationship with Christ? What is the depth of commitment that you bring? And it's a question we have to visit and revisit and revisit. Because we know also in our relationships with others, we know that it may be at a certain point, And if we neglect it, it starts to fade. We know that about spouses. We know that about best friends. We know that at every level in our lives. And our relationship with Christ is no different. It has to be thought about. It has to be attended to in order for it to prosper. Amen.